Something beyond comprehension is happening to a little girl on this street, in this house. A man has been sent for. Good afternoon. Mm. I'm legendary serial killer, Fred Krueger. I'm sitting here in my room today, uh, enjoying a nice bowl of Count Chocula. Now, where would you say the Count is right now? Why, he's in here, with us. And if that line sounds familiar, it's because it's in the movie we're going to talk about today. Hi, <laughs> welcome to Bomb Squad Matinee. I am your host and master of ceremony for this evening, Joseph Henry Vranick. Today I have with me, I'm going to finish this. Um, hi, I'm Ron Hunkeller's lawyer, and I'm here to say that this whole mess only started because his Aunt Harriet's Ouija board was tainted with um, what was at the time the fairly recently invented invented chemical LSD. Um, this whole thing was a misunderstanding, and I hope we can move on and appreciate my client's contributions to NASA's Apollo program instead of the mishap with the church in his youth. Uh, thank you. I am Pazuzu. Oh my god. <laughs> oh, he's got the face going. Yeah, he's got the face going. Alright, um, now we got introductions out of the way. That This movie really does not need any uh, any introduction. It's the fucking Exorcist. Uh, the movie that I'm the fucking sc most scared of to talk about because of how legendary it is. Uh, this is going to be a fun episode. It it'll be a fun episode. But, before we talk about The Exorcist, we're going to talk about a couple of other little movies here because this movie has a reputation for being the scariest movie ever made. Like a lot of people will go on and say, scariest movie, scariest movie ever made is The Exorcist. Scariest movie ever made is The Exorcist. Um, but there's a lot of other really scary movies. Some of them more personal to us, other others a bit more generalized. And I want to hear from you guys. What is, in your guys' opinion, the scariest movie ever made? Not, not, your favorite horror movie, the scariest movie ever made. What just like scared you to your core? We're going to start with horror enthusiast, Tim M. Sullivan. Let's start with you. God, I could write a dissertation on that question. Um, my, my feelings on the scariest movie ever made as a concept is I, I don't think there is a scariest movie ever made because I think, Horror is just as subjective as comedy. Like, different things are going to hit different people different ways. Um, and as an avid horror fan, I don't really get scared by horror movies that often. But in recent memory, I will definitely say that uh, the movie that made me feel the most unsafe is probably uh, the 2022 uh, Robbie J. Bitch, uh picture, The Outwaters. Uh, which is just a movie that absolutely fucks you up sensorily. Um, it it's it throws you in the middle of the desert and leaves you there to die. You get to see a man commit shark puku, uh, which is something I never thought I'd see <laughs> in my life. Uh, it's it's an absolutely wild ride, and uh, I, I've never felt more like viscerally unsafe watching a movie. Um, that's, that's just my best way to describe that particular feeling. And it's, it's, again, it's not a movie that's going to work for everybody. I think that some people tend to get more scared by, you know, your typical, like, jump scare Blumhouse movie. 
and those types of people might not be as affected as you know slow burn stuff or more uh, artistically driven horror stuff and that's fair uh but for me the outwaters is like the most i've felt scared by a movie in recent memory i would say all right yeah i remember you talking about that one when it got like a theatrical release and you were hyping that one up big time i still need to see it unfortunately uh, but, uh, it's streaming on an app that nobody has but uh, oh no it's what it's, it's like scream box or something um but it, it did just get a blu-ray release recently so if you're willing to shell out some money for it uh you can you can find it that way fair enough fair enough all right now we're gonna move on to austin what what are some movies that like scared you to your core what's the scariest movie ever made in your opinion what if I did the whole whole thing like William Friedkin? What if I just did the Bill Friedkin pose the whole time? Just get the Garth Marenghi's Dark Place background behind me. Okay, um, ground rules we have to establish here. The effectiveness of horror movies, uh, just like with the effectiveness of comedies, cannot be quantified properly because individual tastes vary so drastically. That's just boilerplate stuff. Gotta get that out of the way. Uh, one thing right off the bat that makes this question so interesting now in this, our uh, year of our Lord 2023, is that movies are, and have been for about 26 years now, since, I think it was Share Your World went live back in 97, in competition with videos on the internet. I was mulling over this question last night, and the immediate visceral impulse was to say something like, three guys, one hammer. Or the Funky Town video uploaded by the Mexican cartel. Uh, but these aren't narrative features. Uh, they're snuff videos. Police evidence. And I'm sure all of you have seen something like that. Right? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Can you repeat the question? <laughs> How Have you seen shock videos, particularly the, the Funky Town Mexican cartel murder film? <laughs> I didn't really mean it was rhetorical. <laughs> And the shock videos are worth bringing up because they've had a tremendous impact on the sensibilities of modern horror fans. I, for one, don't think you'll ever get a cultural phenomenon similar to what happened with The Exorcist ever again. Uh, because nothing in fiction can compete with the real-world brutality we have seen since the widespread proliferation of digital videos. Um, so now more than ever, as Tim said, it's up to the individual to pick your particular poison. Um... Back in the day, 50 years ago, you could sort of gauge this thing more easily. We could measure the intensity of graphic violence in a film, and then secondly, figure out how widespread the release was. This is a superficial way to account for what made The Exorcist so potent. There were movies more violent than The Exorcist that were being made, but they were restricted mostly to stuff like Grindhouse Exhibition, or the handful of theaters that showed X-rated pictures. With The Exorcist... It was sort of a Saving Private Ryan basic instinct situation where the MPAA let their guard down and gave mass audiences a, a sample of some intense content that they'd normally not be able to find at their local cinema. Uh, but now, now that we've got real videos of people peeling their own eyes off layer by layer while high on methamphetamine, the central focus shifts from how shocking the violence is to something a lot more personal. As anticlimactic as this might sound, after admitting that I'm familiar with uh, shock videos and all that, the films that always scared me the most were early 2000s J-horror films. 
Examples being Ringu, uh, Jew on the Grudge, Norai the Curse, uh, One Missed Call. Uh, this all stems mm -hmm. from a moment in my childhood when I was watching Adult Swim or Comedy Central late at night while my mom was out and commercials for the 2004 remake of The Grudge uh, would come in like a bat out of hell and completely ruin my night. Uh, so to pack it all up into something more clean and direct, because of some traumatic TV watching in my childhood, um, combined with probably the high quality of the source material, I am most frightened by 2000-aughts J-horror films. For me personally, those are the scariest movies ever made. Probably The Ring. I'm scared of The Ring. Back to you, Joe. The Ring is really genuinely fucking terrifying. But both versions, like the American and, and uh, Japanese version. Y you could say either one of those, and I'd be like, yeah, no, I, I get that. Gord Fabrinsky um, did a good job! Damn right. And uh, speaking of, that one's coming to 4K. And wh wh while I have this little pedestal here, um, screen since Scream Factory's doing the the Ring 4K remaster. Uh, I, I want to make a, a plea here to either Scream Factory or Arrow Video. Uh, please release the entire fucking Juon series, either on Blu-ray or 4K, because we don't have it in the fucking states. I, I want to watch those movies. Please. Please. Please! All right. That would be nice. All right, so now that I'm off my soapbox about uh, the Juon series, uh, my, my answer to this... Oh, man, it's tough because, uh, like Tim was saying, I, I'm kind of in that same boat where I just don't get scared by horror movies that often. Uh, there, there are the very few, like, rare exceptions. The, the Exorcist, I want to say, up until last year was not on this list. And it's not my favorite, though it is. it, it goes up there. Um, I do have a definitive answer uh, because this movie has stuck with me for the longest time as the scariest movie ever made. Um, it's the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I, I genuinely believe the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre might be, it honestly might be the most scary movie I've ever seen in my life. I, I, I It's a very strong contender um, because that movie just kind of, it, it's very visceral. It feels like it was made by the family that's in the movie. Um and the fact that that movie takes place during the day, most most of it, um, and I watched this during the day because I'm just like, oh, I, it's like th this will be fun watching a hor horror movie during the day. It won't be so scary. No, I watched it during the day, and the whole movie takes place during the day. I did not feel fucking safe. You are not <laughs> safe from Leatherface. <laughs> no, no one is safe. That like no matter what time of day it is, you are not fucking safe. Uh, genuinely just terrifying concept overall uh it's it's up there man uh honorable mention i'm gonna say um jacob's ladder goes up there though it kind of mm -hmm. shifts the bed at the ending by trying to force a really really dumb message in there that really did not need to be forced in and hereditary the, the movie that scared me so fucking much that when I got into the Al into the parking lot of the Alamo Draft House in Omaha, my ex fiance just looked at like poor me, just like shook to my core, and was like, "Are you okay? Do you want to go get some ice cream? There's a cold stone right over there." And I just kind of go, "Yeah, yeah, I like some ice cream." <laughs> oh man, if only Ari Aster could pull that trick again because he's uh, it's 
it's been a bit of a struggle for him since that movie. Uh, just, At least for spe- me. Speaking of that, I, I do want to bring up one other movie that I would say scariest movie ever made. Black Klansman. Uh, that ending fucking shook me. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, I that, would 100% agree. That one, that one got a little too real. I was going to say, that that's scary because that one's real. Yeah, um, I, I think if you're willing to allow sort of documentarian things to be scary, I think there's a movie with Mark Ruffalo where he discovers like 90 per, 95% of the water supply was poisoned by DuPont because they put out nonstick pans in the 50s. That scared me a lot. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, not demons or ghosts. And, yeah. And you know, if, if, if we're going to go down that route, I, I'm going to throw in Jesus Camp as, as, yeah. a, as another movie that yeah. genuinely scares the shit out of me. I forgot about that movie. Why did you remind me of that movie? Because we're talking about real world scary movies. Uh, but let's go back to the, the, the world of fiction. Uh, we're we're going to talk about the William Freakin directed um, The Exorcist, uh, written by William Peter Blatty, starring Linda Blair, Ellen Burstyn, a bunch of other fucking people. One of the greatest movies ever made. Oh, man, uh, I, I have no idea where to start, <laughs> um, so I'm just going to start passing it off. Uh, we're going to start with, uh, we'll start with Austin. What, what are your overall thoughts on The Exorcist? All right, uh, so for this viewing, I watched the 4K remaster that was recently released for the 50th anniversary edition. If you're expecting something that looks like um, 2001 A Space Odyssey or Space Adventure Cobra, you're not getting anything remotely close to that. Uh, the Exorcist was shot on Eastman 100T 5254. Uh, so as you'll notice on like other 4K releases from films that were shot on that stock, like The Godfather, Taxi Driver, Chinatown, The Sting, uh, the 4K is in a tremendous improvement over the Blu-ray, even though you're theoretically getting four times the pixel resolution per frame. Uh, the whole, there's a whole bunch of other quirks people are mad about, like the chroma resolution got blurred, Friedkin also did that on his re-release of The French Connection, it's got a cool tint that supposedly wasn't there back in the 70s, and the DNR is a little too heavy, but people are always mad about DNR. So if you're some kind of, like, exorcist purist, this remaster being more of a revision than a restoration might piss you off, uh, but I'm not exactly from that crowd. In fact, this is the first time I have ever sat down and seen The Exorcist in high definition on a big screen. Uh, the first time I ever saw it was back in 2003. It was on cable at my uncle's house. And uh, since then, each subsequent viewing uh, was on a fairly moderately sized screen, often during the daytime, usually with other people around. Uh, but let me say, watching the 4K remaster alone at night in the dark on a huge screen with the sound turned all the way up may as well have been one of the most luxurious experiences of my entire film watching career. I felt like I was at a day spa, except instead of like trying to get my fucking cuticles done, the staff were trying to scare the shit out of me. Uh, and to put it in perspective a little, uh, there's this story that Tarantino told about when Brian De Palma was making Blowout, and he was feeling like he really made something fucking good and spectacular, uh, but then he went into a theater and he saw Raging Bull, made by his friend Martin Scorsese. He was watching that opening shot of De Niro bouncing around in the photosonic slow-mo footage set to that fucking, uh, Pietro Mascani song, and he was like, Fuck! 
No matter how good you think you are, there's always fucking Scorsese. And that was me the entire time I was watching The Exorcist. Almost nothing compares. It is not just a horror movie. It is like an all-time knockout drama that happens to be extremely terrifying. Mm -hmm. I think one of those things that's helped the film succeed and endure is its documentary-style realism. You hear this get brought up a lot. The screenplay exhausts all possible options before pivoting to the supernatural. The medical procedures and its brief depiction of psychoanalysis feel like exactly what would happen if, in the 1970s, a child suddenly manifested these exact symptoms. Brain scans, blood tests, suggestive hypnotherapy. Uh, this film takes place in a world where we've got empirical, scientific ways to debunk demonic possession, and it creates a scenario where even our most advanced procedures fail to diagnose the issue. I love that quality about The Exorcist. It makes demonic possession out to be something extremely rare, like, like ghosts of a forgotten world are bleeding into ours, and they do so infrequently with the hope that those religious individuals, those religious individuals that actually have experienced fighting demons, or even believe that they exist, would hopefully die by the next go-around. Like, it's intelligent, and uh, thematically works a lot better than so many stories where, like, demonic possession is just another Tuesday at the Vatican, man. Um, the, the Exorcist feels like it takes place in real life, because of that spectacular screenplay, and on a technical level, it was obviously very painful to make. Uh, this is backed up with old interviews of Friedkin and the DVD commentary. He says everything in this film was done intentionally. Reflective surfaces were kept around on the kitchen set, even though it made everything a lot harder to light. Uh, same with like keeping glass and like the photo frames around the house. There's a limited use of opticals, like fade-outs and dissolves, to keep that documentary feeling. Uh, there was an effort made in pre-production so that every time there was, like, a loud, frightening scene, it would be preceded by a scene that was quiet for valid diegetic reasons, which you can contrast with modern jump scares, where the sound-mixing guy just kind of cuts the sound out of nowhere before the fucking demon pops out as a quick and cheap way of doing what Friedkin did here through considerably more effort. And maybe we can talk about this more in general discussion, but all of this comes with the caveat that Friedkin partially accomplished all this by being a total bastard to various parties involved. There's like that Twitter discourse about the complex feeling you get when bad people make good art. Mm -hmm. Rosemary's Baby, Braveheart, Manhattan... Um, but The Exorcist is an example of an incredible movie made by a cruel person who was actively being kind of a dick to everybody while it was getting made. I always think of that quote Friedkin gave to um, Catherine Short of The Guardian back in 2012. If I wasn't a director, I might have become a serial killer. And, and considering this was filmed back in the early 70s, it's not so far-fetched. Do you think that a kind man would have kept in, let Jesus fuck you? <laughs> do, you do you think a normal guy would have allowed the voice actor for Pazuzu to be tortured in a chair, given a diet of raw eggs, whiskey, and three packs of, per day of cigarettes? Do you think a reasonable, sane dude would have filmed the opening of their movie in Iraq at a time when they were at war with every bordering country and had zero diplomatic relationship with the United States? 
Like, it makes you wonder. Perhaps good people can accomplish the same crazy logistical feats that bad people do. They just have to put in more effort beforehand. But there's no denying that in the Hollywood climate of the 1970s, Friedkin's mean-spirited bullshit did help create the French connection Sorcerer and The Exorcist. Uh, wrapping up, The Exorcist is one of the best movies of all time. I only scratched the surface of this movie's storied production history, but you will eventually get the impression reading about this that a series of wildly improbable things came together as if the god of movies wanted The Exorcist to become a big hit. It is slow, but it's intelligent. It's terrifying, but it feels real. It's one of the most interesting events in the history of modern cinema, and I am thankful you let me talk about it here. Thank you. Back to you, Joe. No problem, my man. But, man, you mentioned it's like you wonder if like a nicer person would try to uh, make a, a movie on this level. I feel like you could say that about one David Gordon Green, but, man, he fucking fumbled the bar. Yeah, I so I was telling Tim this earlier. I'm going to try and not mention The Exorcist Believer, like, so much in here. There might be, like, a couple of things that I will bring up in comparison. We're not talking about it on this, sh on this show at all. Uh, that movie fucking sucks. It's pretty bad. Um but yeah, uh, th th there's there's your first taste of it, Tim. Uh, to get us back on track, what were your thoughts on The Exorcist? So uh, my mother is somebody who is very much not a fan of horror movies, but I know that she at least watched two horror movies in the seventies. Uh, she watched a movie that she referred to as Silent Night, Evil Night, which I later learned was a title that Black Christmas was released under at one point. Um, and the other one is The Exorcist, and The Exorcist is the movie that shook my mother to her core. Uh, like, I learned later in life that apparently we weren't allowed to have Ouija boards in the house specifically because of that movie. Um, that's, that's how much it fucked my mother, my mother up. Uh, that, that, that just makes this movie feel so dangerous and like uh it it it, it definitely makes you want to check it out like as somebody who's interested in horror and i don't think i actually watched this until like my early 20s uh i think that's when i first actually sat down and watched the exorcist and it is of course the, everything austin said rings true it's a masterpiece um we were just talking about Hellbound Hellraiser 2 last week, and uh, the, these these movies both deal with demons. And I think on some level, given that this was a movie that was made specifically to scare people into church, I do kind of admire Clive Barker just being a freaky gay guy who wanted to make freaky transgressive art. Uh, but this movie is perfect, and it absolutely paved the way for so many great horror films like one of my my basically my favorite horror movie is the evil dead and we would not have the evil dead without the exorcist um and i, th I think the movie that uh came out around the same time that it generally gets compared to is rosemary's baby and i think this absolutely stomps rosemary's baby uh much better pacing uh we don't have the resolution that everybody fucking knows going into the movie 
as the final twist, and also not made by a child molester. Uh, so there's some points in this movie's favor uh, on that count. But uh, yeah, just just it's such a good movie. Uh, like Austin was alluding to, shout out to Mercedes McCambridge, who just fucking fucked her voice up for that voice role. Uh, the dubbing in this movie is actually really good. Like, uh, good by modern standards and absolutely astounding by 70s standards when that was so much harder to do. Um, like, it, it just, it's so good. Um, I'll probably have more things to say in general discussion, so I'm going to pass it off to you, Joe. Oh, man. I, I wish she had more to say, because I'm not fucking ready to talk about this. I am not ready at all. But you know what? I'm just going to get into it. It's it's not my favorite horror movie ever. It is definitely up there, though. Mm-hmm. I fucking love this movie um, with like every fiber of my being. I'm going to do something here real quick. What's he doing? What's he doing? I'm going to pull out a prop here. And it's my, uh, I don't have the 4K yet, but I do have this really cool Blu-ray that comes with the version you've never seen. It says the extended director's cut. It is not a director's cut. We'll talk about that later. Um, It has the version you've never seen and the theatrical version. So many bonus features. And it also comes with like this little booklet here, which I believe is an excerpt of uh, Friedkin's memoir. So, um, if this is not, um, a a testament to why physical media is fucking important, I don't know what is, uh, but man, uh, talk about a movie that just has so much in it. Just like, not just like as a movie, but as like a filmmaker's movie. Mm -hmm. Um, this is, this is one of those movies that, um, maybe not for the people involved, but it, it feels, it feels like we talked about. Uh, like how with House it feels like a movie that just loves being a movie. I get that vibe with The Exorcist. Maybe, maybe they didn't have fun making this. <laughs> there's there's so many bad stories <laughs> involving this movie. But like when when you talk about the movie itself, it, it it feels like it enjoys being a very dark uh documentary esque like fucked up horror movie. Um. And I actually genuinely, like, really like that style mm. that Friedkin goes for in this. That little, like, grounded, documentary-esque, like, style of shooting. It really, like, sets a tone. It, like, it, it grounds the movie in a way that, like, it gets you involved more easily than a lot of other films. Uh, and, I mean, that that's just a style that Friedkin is, like, fucking perfect at. Even if he's like, uh, say, for instance, in the Fred- French Connection, damn near murdering people, <laughs> uh, just, just strap a car, strap a camera onto a car, just run into civilians. I don't fucking care. <laughs> My God, Fried- Friedkin, you're a fucking madman. May you rest in peace. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, this uh, it- it's just a really fucking good movie where everything is just people had to suffer for it to get to it like just pitch perfect on like every level directing writing acting especially uh <laughs> just everything is like pitch fucking perfect um what else could i say before we move on um 
I will say, uh, this movie is hailed as the scariest movie of all time and one of the scariest movies ever made. And I used to just be in the camp of it. I don't find it scary, but I think it's a genuinely great movie. And then I kind of came around to that, I want to say, sometime last year. Because mm-hmm. I really, like, I watched this movie from, like, a different perspective. Specifically, like, I, I just kind of removed any religious aspects of it and was like, okay, th- th- think of the de- demonic possession as a mental illness. And you're watching this young girl just like slowly like lose herself to this mental illness and this poor fucking mother is just going out of her way like desperately fucking trying to uh cure her daughter get her better and nothing is fucking working and they're away from home too so there's like there's not the comfort of your own home you're far away from home far away from loved ones and this poor mother is just struggling to help her daughter and as someone who is dealt with mental illness, specifically depression, post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, it it kind of hits home. It, it hits home because it makes me feel bad for my own mom, and I just cannot imagine the terror that she kind of feels whenever I have have my bad days. Um, so it hit home on a new level when I viewed it like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it, I'm just like, okay, yeah, no, now I get why this is the scariest movie ever made. Um and yeah, uh, I'm I'm running out of steam on uh, my general thoughts. I love this movie. We're gonna go to commercial break, and we'll be back with general discussion slash trivia. Cause man, oh man, there's a lot of that shit. And we're back with more Exorcist goody goodness. But before we do that. We're coming back from ads for another ad. Do you like movies? Do you like canvas? Do you like color? Uh, well, we got the product just for you. Movie palette. Uh, Tanner's got one for Punch Trunk Love. You can't see Tim's because he turned his fucking lights off, but he's got one for Mandy. They're just like cool little canvases with just like strips of color that represent every frame of a movie. It's really fucking cool. Um <clears throat> So, yeah, if you just go to that link that we'll have down in our description, moviepalette.com, go get one for your favorite movie. Get one for The Exorcist, even. Get one for Dominion, The Exorcist prequel, or that other version of The Exorcist prequel. I don't know why you would. Both versions suck. (laughs) Um, Have one custom made of the Fox Exorcist TV show. (laughs) Oh, no. Dude, honestly, yeah, because that one's because the Fox TV show is actually pretty fucking good. It's uh, it's underrated. Uh, but before you do that, when you uh, go to purchase, enter the code Squad fifteen uh, to get fifteen percent off your order. Uh, it helps us with the channel. It helps them because oh hey, you're buying their product. It helps you too because you're saving a little money. Uh, so yeah, MovingPallet.com Squad fifteen. Go do that after you've finished watching this video. Uh, hey, Austin, you got strike fun stuff, right? Still, right? SAG AFTRA is on strike. Fat cat Hollywood producers don't want to pay them residuals and they want to buy their visage and turn it into an AI and never pay them money again and beat them with billy clubs. You can assist in their efforts to have a better future if you donate to one of these three websites. The Entertainment Community Fund, The Snack List, or Groceries for Writers. 
Hmm. Um, yeah, anyway, donate to Strike Funds, because, uh, shit's still kinda hitting the fan, and we gotta fight the rich people before they force us to live in pods and eat bugs. Back to you, Joe. Excellent, excellent. Okay, now let's get back into that exorcist goody-goodness. We're get going into general discussion slash trivia, because, Christ, there is a lot of trivia for this movie. There's a lot to talk about with the making of this movie, the reaction to this movie. So much to talk about. So I'm leaving the floor open. Who wants to go first? Um, so you kind of touched on something. Uh, you were talking about how you didn't used to find this movie scary and then uh, kind of change for you. Um, mm -hmm. So a few years ago, me and Joe were both in a uh, class at Webster called Grave Tales. And oh, boy. One of the films we watched for the class, of course, was The Exorcist, because, you know, it's a class about horror cinema, and we, yeah. this is one of the most important horror movies ever made. Um, so the week after we watched The Exorcist, we had our little, like, discussion at the beginning of class, and our teacher, Aaron Abishan, kind of started the discussion by going, okay, show of hands, who here thought this movie was scary? And about half the class raised their hands. Uh, and he goes, okay, okay. Uh, Follow-up question. Who here was raised in a religious family? Basically the same set of hands shot back up. Uh, oh. So, so, so that, that is definitely, like, a factor. But at the same time, like, I just, I think it's a very well-structured horror movie. Um, and kind of what Joe was talking about. I think even if you don't necessarily view it in religious terms, you can just view it as a horror movie structured with the intent to scare you and it, it it can still make it work i also wasn't scared of this movie when i was younger i remember watching it when i was nine and it was just the scene where reagan and her mom were talking in the kitchen and i was like this is the exorcist this is the movie that all the old people around me said was the scariest movie and this doesn't have shit on jack frost um, this, this does not have shit on Darkness Falls. This makes Jeepers Creepers look like it's going to give you a heart attack. This is the tamest thing I've ever seen. And, um, like, I think you grow into certain things. Like, I think I recounted on the Clockwork Orange episode how when I was younger it was a different movie. Mm. Like, it was like a comedy. And then as I got older it got scarier every year as I, like, understood what they were doing more. When I was younger, I did not understand why The Exorcist was scary. And now that I'm older, like, all these intellectual gaps got filled in. Like, I'm even more scared of Pazuzu now because it's an ancient Mesopotamian demon. I'm scared of him because he's theoretically from such a long time ago that I believe in him more, and I'm an atheist. So I think this might be a movie, if you're not raised Catholic, that gets scarier as you get older. Mm -hmm. Possibly. As someone who was raised Catholic and became an atheist, I can agree to that. Yeah. Yeah! <laughs> Rock and roll. I, uh, I have a, a, a little sideshow called Willie, William Friedkin being a bastard. Oh, boy. I some, some stories about Billy Friedkin being a dick. Let's go. Let, let's start off, if, if you're going to start off with Jason Miller, let's start off with that, because that's fucked up. Are you talking about how, um... William Friedkin would hide guns with blanks in them around the set. Uh, in order to startle the actors, he'd fire them off during takes without providing any notice. Yep. And I think 
Jason Miller got very upset with him about this. Oh, understandably. <laughs> it was something along the lines of, damn it, Jim, I'm an actor. Uh, you don't need to fire a gun next to my ear to get me to act. Um, what is it? Speaking of Billy Friedkin being bad to people who studied Catholicism, when filming the scene where Father Dyer ministers the dying rites to Karis at the end, Friedkin slapped Father William O'Malley, uh, the actor playing Dyer, across the face to elicit a performance. Uh, this offended all the Catholic crew members because Father Dyer was played by a real Catholic priest. So Billy Freakin just fucking got a priest in order to make his hand shaky for the take, I guess. I don't know. Jeez. Damn. Uh, when rehearsing, uh, Father Karras getting vomited on, the vomit in rehearsal always hit him in the chest. But when it was time for the actual take, Freakin had it hit him in his, in his face. He got vomited on in his face after being told like 30 times that was not what's going to happen. <laughs> Uh, Friedkin once spent four days shooting a dolly shot of bacon frying. Took four days <laughs> <laughs> to get that in the can. Um, as, who the as fuck somebody does he think he is? Stanley Kubrick? has been on some low-budget films, like, that sentence just gave me PTSD. <laughs> <laughs> I can just imagine a whole crew real professionals just dollying in and out of bacon all day. I think he made someone run out and get a special kind of bacon because he didn't like that normal market bacon at the time curled around the edges. Like, this guy was a fucking nut. William Friedkin would fire and rehire people without warning, sometimes in the same conversation. Uh, one story, he was, like, shaking hands with a guy. Then seconds later when the handshake he was done, was done, he was like, Get that guy out of here! So it's just fucking, hey, nice to meet you. Fuck off! Crazy man. <laughs> Pulled some J. Jonah Jameson shit. What are you, what are you doing? Film, photographing squirrels? You're fired. Chief, the planetarium. All right, you're on fire. I need you. <laughs> exactly. And and my final, my final one that wraps it all in a nice bow, Friedkin actually got the job on The Exorcist because he dunked on a previous screenplay that William Peter Blatty wrote. Uh, Blatty and this guy, Blake Edwards, were working on a movie uh, adaptation of this TV show called Peter Gunn. Our, our grandparents know what it is. I don't know what it is. Theme song's apparently really cool. I was going to um, say, forgettable show, but a great theme song. They invited Freakin over to, like, a Monday morning breakfast to review the script they had. And Freakin told Blake Edwards that the script was a piece of shit and that he wouldn't even let his own worst enemy write a script that bad. Uh, <laughs> it turns out that Blatty also didn't like the script that they had been working on. And so he chased Freakin out into the parking lot and, like, shook his hand and, like, told him he admired his honesty. And uh, later, when The Exorcist was being made, that initial confrontation with Friedkin made Blatty partial to Friedkin. It's partially the reason why he got hired, was because he was mean at a script meeting once, where William Peter Blatty was there. <laughs> God. Th those two specifically have, like, the most, like, butting head relationship. Just out of, like, everyone involved with that movie is, is Friedkin and Peter Blatty. Uh, so, so much so that it's interesting knowing that it, the the director's cut, the version you've never seen, is technically the writer's cut. 
Because yeah. he it's like he basically just was like, put all this stuff back in that I like. And Friedkin's like, you fucking piece of shit. Don't put this shit in here. It sucks. This version's better. <laughs> Which is funny considering the spider walk is in the uh the version you've never seen. And that, so, that image is iconic in and of itself. The way I heard this, and I would hate someone for the rest of my life if they did this. Um, Friedkin was cutting it together, and I guess Warner Bros. told him to err on the side of making it shorter. And I think he cut something around 12 minutes. And Blatty was like, all of these 12 minutes are good. Keep this in the movie. This is amazing stuff. Like, I think the scene where... Um, Marin and Father Karras are outside uh, the, on the stairs and they're like, why would the demon possess a girl? I guess it wants to make us feel like dickheads. Like, I think that was cut. You know, really important, good stuff. And then, like, two decades after this was cut, when the, I think the DVD was getting put together, um, Friedkin finally, like, called him back and was like, you know what? I'm gonna put those 12 minutes in. Imagine for two decades, you just have to sit there, and your most famous movie had this giant, like, all this shit you loved cut out of it, and then this fucking douche invites you over when you're an old man and is like, you were right. Those 12 minutes are great. We're putting them back. You know, that that's fair, especially for that I think he wants us to feel despair and make us feel like dickheads moment. With that said, though, I like the original version because it's just them, like, stepping out for a second and they're just fucking exhausted. They, they don't even <laughs> need to say anything. Everything that's just going on is just so fucking intense and tiresome that they're just like, I need a fucking break, man. <laughs> I, I, I get it. I fucking get it. <laughs> uh, I'm... On this watch, uh, seeing Karis die by falling down the stairs after having seen John Wick Chapter 4, I just couldn't help but picture John Wick going, skill <laughs> issue, wouldn't let it happen to me personally. <laughs> God. Well, one thing I am so happy for, I am so happy for the digital insertion of Karis's mother in the window. Um, if that's on the versions you guys watched, they did like this little digital optical of Karis's mom that like, like on the window before he jumps out. And I was like, that's how you do it. Mm -hmm. Someone call George Lucas. Cause that's how you do it. Uh, I'll, I'll say this compared to, uh, comp since you mentioned Lucas, I'll say this with Friedkin at the very least, he makes his original version, like still readily available. Unlike mm -hmm. Lucas. Which, god fucking damn it, George. Why, why didn't you just let us have that original version? Muckling now it's not even... I was, was going to say, now it's not even in, in, in his control at this point. It's That's all on Disney. Hey, at least we have the de-specialized edition that you can torrent or download. I don't know. At least yeah. we've got those. Well, I, I get, yeah, that's as close as we're going to get. Uh, but... To the directors that actually let us have those original versions still. We, we love you for it. Uh, Sam Raimi, please do the same for Evil Dead. <laughs> Speaking of alternate versions, I have this, like, photo I want to send you and Joe. It's from, I think, the CBS broadcast in 1980 that William Friedkin, like, oversaw himself. They obviously had to swap out the, uh desecrated statue for like something less absurd because yeah. you couldn't show that on tv so you have like this silly little like statue with like one tear of blood coming down the face it's very silly i'll send it right over to you guys oh boy <laughs> hell yeah fuck 
Did you guys know uh, Friedkin found the tubular bells demo on accident? That So, the, the most iconic piece of music in this whole entire franchise was found on accident. He could not seem to vocalize what he wanted for the theme to, like, any of his collaborators. And one day, he's hanging out with this guy, Larry B. Marks, uh, vice president of music and, uh, for film and TV at Warner Brothers. Uh, vice president of some shit at Warner Brothers. And uh, this guy was like, hey, go into my office, look through some records, who knows? And that was when Friedkin found the demo for Tubular Bells. And uh, additionally, apparently Friedkin has never met Mike Oldfield, even though Oldfield composed the famous theme from F Friedkin's signature movie. Also, uh, some Virgin Records executive apparently wrote in their autobiography that Tubular Bells was a huge fucking deal for the record company uh, because it was their first record to sell over a million units. Uh, so The Exorcist had, like, a huge impact on Virgin Records becoming a big label. Who would have thought? God. It, big impact on film and a big impact on music. That, that, that's how fucking great this movie is. It made Virgin Records. Do you have something, Tim? I thought you were, um, were going to say something. I, I, I got something. I got something. Did you know... That this movie is based on an incident that happened in St. Louis? What? Here we go! What? Let, let, let me tell a story. So, when I started uh, submitting The Other Side to film festivals, I submitted it to this one that had, like, an o overly... Uh, just just too, too much of an online presence, but they had, like... Uh, a lot of social media stuff, and they were like, uh, if you submit your film, you can post a trailer here. So I posted my trailer, which included, like, screening information for the St. Louis Filmmakers Showcase uh, premiere. And I get a reply back that's just like, cool trailer, were you inspired by Vincent Price and The Exorcist House? No! Did you just <laughs> fucking see the word St. Louis and go to the two things you know? Fuck! <laughs> we Were know you inspired by toasted ravioli and gooey butter cake. Yeah, for real. It's like we we know the Exorcist house is in St. Louis. We don't fucking care. <laughs> yeah, no, we don't. I, Sca I they fucking it... sh they fucking shot Escape from New York here. We don't fucking care. Yeah. <laughs> I think we, it might we have will... been a hospital, right? Yeah, I think it was a hospital near here, maybe. We we will maybe. we will claim Vincent Price. He is ours. Vincent right Price, <laughs> James Gunn, John Goodman. Those are the homies. Uh, uh, let's throw Evan Peters in there. Let's throw him in there. We love Evan Peters here. Do you guys know anything about the makeup artist for this? Who did this film? No, I I know there's some interesting concepts for uh, the design of like Reagan in his best form, though. Uh, basically, they originally she looked like an evil dead hag, but yeah. like 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 the, like the wicked witch of the west stepped into the uh, the evil dead universe. <laughs> uh, yeah. But they cho they chose a different direction eventually, and you can actually see a lot of the early makeup tests on one of those documentaries that comes with the DVD. I can't remember which one. I think it's got like live in the title. You'll find it. Um, Dick Smith. Uh, 
as the uh, freaking consider Dick Smith, the guy who did the makeup, to be the only artist alive at the time who could be trusted to do the movie. Uh, before then, it looks like Dick Smith had mostly just done aging makeup work for films like uh, Little Big Man with Dustin Hoffman, or uh, he did Marlon Brando's makeup on The Godfather. Apparently, uh, for The Godfather, Dick Smith created the first ever, like, bleeding special effects by creating these bladders hidden under foam latex with the bladder getting detonated by a squib. So it's kind of like the weirdo who figured out how to realistically depict people getting shot in the middle of the head was chosen to do the makeup for this movie. Hell yeah. At first, he veered sort of towards, like, monster makeup. Uh, like Joe was saying. And then Friedkin eventually advised him to go to the route of, like, all of Reagan's injuries being self-inflicted wounds that may have gotten infected or out of control, you know? And after The Exorcist, Dick Smith was a rock star and would go on to win the Academy Award for Best Makeup for Amadeus. And he also did the shootout at the end of Taxi Driver. And get this, he did the exploding head for Scanners. Hell, Hell yeah. yeah. Yeah, this dude's a fucking legend. Jesus Christ. Dick Smith! Woo! Uh, and I'll give him this on his old age makeup. Man, oh man, he he really makes Max von Sydow look like a very fucking old guy in this. And he honestly kind of predicted what Max von Sydow would look like in the future. Because he wasn't even that he wasn't even that old when they made this. He was like maybe in his like late 30s, early 40s, somewhere around there. He, he was like he wasn't old, but man, they make him look it. Yeah, I was wondering how he's still alive. I was watching the movie, and I was like, wait, if he's 60 in this, how old was he when I was younger? What's going on? <laughs> yeah, he pulled that off real nice. Jesus. Uh, uh, Tim, you brought up Mercedes McCambridge. Mm -hmm. Someone with a neutral voice, as um, Friedkin said, someone who didn't sound like a boy or a girl. Someone who could do that NB voice. Who's um, non-binary? So, That's cool. <laughs> fucking, <laughs> apparently, to sort of boost the voice even more, um, Friedkin would mix stuff into, like, the voice. Like, um, do you remember the, the homeless guy in the beginning who's like, hey, can you help an old altar boy? Yeah. It, it, like, his screams were mixed in there. Uh, animal noises are a common one. But this is mm -hmm. the one you don't read about much on the internet. Apparently... The Vatican sent William Friedkin a tape of a boy who underwent an exorcism in Rome. Like, the scariest thing mm. you could think of. Like, a, a really shitty quality tape of just priests talking in Latin. And this little boy just screaming. Ooh. And uh, Friedkin apparently mixed audio from that tape into the movie. Like, it's weird, because there are barely any articles about this online. But he references it several times in the DVD commentary. So I think they just don't want us to know about that tape. Yeah. The, the Illuminati. Yeah, you can you can mix it into the movie score, but you can't release the uncut thing. <laughs> Confidential Vatican secrets. I'm looking up things to talk about for uh, just for this episode. And you mentioned Brando earlier when we were talking about the makeup in this. Yes. Yeah. Were you guys aware that the studio wanted Brando for this movie? Mm -hmm. Yeah, they wanted him to either play Father Karras or Father Marin, to which uh, William Friedkin was like, I won Best Director by nearly killing people with a fucking car. 
Uh, no, you are not fucking doing this to my fucking movie. I just uh, assume William Friedkin just fucking swears a lot because whenever I try to quote him, I just throw in so many fuckings. But then again, if you ever see an interview with this guy, you just assume it. You absolutely 100% assume that he would just constantly throw that out. He was He's channeling his spirit through you right now. Um, they also uh, tried to hire Audrey Hepburn uh, to play the mom. And uh, Audrey Hepburn said she would do it on the condition they shoot it in Rome. Because she was living in Rome and didn't want to leave to shoot the movie. And yep. obviously freaking shot that down. Yeah. But imagine Audrey Hepburn being anywhere close to this movie. I like, can't. <laughs> it's like oil and water. Jesus. Right. Um, God, I think Jane Fonda was also offered that role, but turned it down. Just Probably. flat turned it yeah. down. Just flat Fonda out. was one of the three. Yeah, flat out turned it down. Uh, who, who else was it? Was it uh, who, uh, who played Mrs. Robinson? Because I know she was offered it. I don't know that actress's name. I'm I think sorry. It's, I think it's I think it's Anne Ban- Bancroft. Pro- yeah, I think it's Anne Bancroft. And yeah, I, I, know, I know she was offered but turned it down. Yeah. Um, uh, Oh, I, I remember. Anne Bancroft, I think, turned it down because she was, like, one month pregnant when they got to her for casting. Um, yeah. And I think they were making it, you know, within, like, before nine months had gone by. So they couldn't just have this recently pregnant person playing the mom. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. One of the paintings uh, from the cycle Empire of Light uh, by Renee Marguerite influenced that famous shot where Father Marin is about to enter the McNeil house. On the commentary, Friedkin says this is because the painting suggested something supernatural happening in a realistic place. You can look it up on Google. It's a neat painting. Also, I think it inspired a Jackson Brown album cover. If we have any Jackson Brown fans out there. Well, you heard it here, Jackson Brown fans. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, God. Uh, what, what, what else can I say about this movie? Isn't this movie cursed? Supposedly. Yeah. It, I think, was episode one of the Cursed Films doc series on Shudder. Uh, it's it's one of those ones that had a couple of incidents. Uh, which, if I can talk about that show for a, a second there, it's like, the first two episodes were basically just like, ooh, look at these spooky things. Uh, were these movies cursed? And then uh, they go into the uh, Poltergeist episode, which is like... Uh, the the cast and crew specifically saying this is not a curse this is a bunch of terrible things that happened and it's kind of offensive that you're calling this a curse and then episodes four and five are the crow and the twilight zone movie where it's just like people fucking die when you don't do shit right on movie sets yeah no shit Uh, you, you can see in that documentary that I mentioned earlier, but wasn't able to name, um, there's a whole section where they're talking about how many people died on this set. And like most people say, it's like two or three people, like actual cast and crew people. Um, but according to Ellen Burstyn, nine people, like if you're doing the Kevin Bacon thing, let nine people associated with the people working on the movie died. Like, I think there was one person, like a technician, who had a baby with his wife, and the baby died. Like, according to Ellen Burstyn, it's nine people. And Max von, Sy- Max von Sydow 
fucking says, apparently, he has this funny explanation for it that I really like. He's like, when you do a film for, like, 30 days, of course no one dies. But the Exorcist film for, like, six months and, like, over a hundred days. So, of course, you run the risk of lots of people dying. Because usually film sets don't go on this long. And film sets are dangerous. Especially mm -hmm. The Exorcist. The house burned down one time. Like, the whole thing. God. Freaking uh, you madman. Apparently, also, critics, like, thought a bunch of horrible shit happened because of this movie. Like, there was this gossip, column, this gossip columnist in 1973 who went on ABC and said on air that Linda Blair ended up in a mental institution because of this film. And that is not true. She went back to school, she got straight A's, and won blue ribbons and a bunch of horse championships, of wasn't, all things. Wasn't she in two the heretic she was yes so, so like she, funnily, she just fun went on to make another one funnily enough in a mental institution yeah so they might have just been talking about that but take this <laughs> linda blair was actually in trouble at one point apparently warner bros had to have armed bodyguards like protecting her 24 7 six months after the film's release because there were these religious these religious groups that listen to people like Billy Graham, like far-right religious groups. And oh, they were, like, sending her death threats. So they mm. were saying, like, the movie glorified Satan. So ironically, a bunch of religious people put this young girl in more peril than the movie about her getting possessed by a demon. God, that's... Jesus fucking Not Christ. a great look. <coughs> God. Makes you think. M makes me think if uh, if uh, right wing super religious nut jobs are gonna go after the kids in this in this uh, new one that came out. Probably not. I, I think times have changed. But then again, people are fucking crazy. Yeah, I wonder if they have a club like the kid who played Anakin Skywalker and the kid who plays King Joffrey. Like if all the kids uh. who get death threats because of the roles they play. Like, all get together and, like, have coffee sometimes. I, yeah. I hope so. Yeah, those, yeah, those two that, specifically, that, that sweet. those two specifically, like, they got death-threatened so hard that they just quit. Uh, like, you, you, a, a lot of people get death-threats, specifically, like, women who dared to, like, do a thing in a role. Like, like if the fucking Skylar White, uh, just, like... What what if maybe I had a problem with my husband being a meth dealer, and they're just like wrong? <laughs> Christ, Jesus. fuck. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, also, people people were just uh, pretty uncomfortable. I do think it's kind of funny uh, the scene where the bed shakes and all that shit. Mm -hmm. It was really just William Friedkin and the crew actually shaking the shit out of Linda Blair. Uh, which is very, very silly. I think there's a line Ellen Burstyn has in that documentary um, where he, like, basically about William Friedkin being a dick on set. She says, you never actually have to do any of what he did in a production. Like, you can make a good movie and never have to fire guns off by people's fucking heads. 
You don't have to slap anybody. You don't have to fucking... Like, I think Ellen Burstyn got, like, shoved by a stunt guy. And she went up to Friedkin and was like, that kind of hurt. I might get hurt if you keep doing this. And Friedkin, like, had a little silent cue that would tell the camera guy to start rolling. And he kind of told the stuntman, like, let her have it this time. Fucking yeah, let her have it! And so she got pushed harder. Like, uh, I just appreciate that whoever edited that documentary kept in the line... Because uh, new directors should take this to heart. You yeah. do not have to do the gimmick stuff to make your movie good. You really you just don't. have to plan. That that does kind of like make me feel about kind of what we were talking about a few months ago, like the the across the Spider Verse versus the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem thing, where it's like you can make a really good animated movie without torturing your crew. Uh, you can make a good movie without being a violent horrible piece of shit to your cast and crew uh um, right. it, it you you can you can make good art without torture mm-hmm. unless you I... saw <laughs> <laughs> your art is torture i i think it just requires more planning and patience yeah i think you just exactly. have to be more intelligent about it if you're not going to go for the cheap route and like be slapping the shit out of people um, it, it's, I think bad people making films, they get a lot done, um, but they, you know, they're basically sacrificing, like, getting it done quickly, and then their crew hates them. Right. Whereas you could get it done in a more appropriate amount of time, and everyone wouldn't hate each other. Yeah. You just have to be, like, more patient and plan ahead. Uh, you know? And, like, what, what kind of fucking reputation did William Friedkin even have? Like, I know he's gone now, but, like... What did he went on to do cruising? He was like friends with the mob. Like fucking I wonder if Freakin's reputation was that he was a scary maniac. I should I should listen to more people talk about William Freakin because he seems like a weird one. I wouldn't doubt that people think he's a fucking freaky maniac man, because I think he's a fucking freaky maniac man, just based on everything I've heard and seen of him. Uh Shout out, though, for that clip where he's talking to Nicholas Winding Refn. I, I was going to bring that up. It's like, who gives a shit? Your movie's not going to be that great in another ten fucking years. Four <laughs> years is a zip. It's barely a pimple on the asshole of humanity. 2001 hits like gangbusters. Citizen Kane holds up. Fuck only God forgives. <laughs> All this because Refn dared to say only God forgives was a masterpiece. Well, okay, to be fair, though, uh, Nicholas Winding Refn has his head so far up his own ass. He kind of deserved that, (laughs) to be quite honest. I I have seen Too Old to Die Young. I am tragically aware of how far his head is up his ass. His his head is so far up his own ass, he's uh, he, he could probably see the curvature of the earth through his colon. <laughs> what a flex. As above, so below. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Hmm. Uh, yeah. So that that final exorcist scene, the, the exorcism itself, uh, it's a great scene. But man, oh man, I really wish that Ellen Burstyn was in the room while they were doing it. But oh no, the patriarchy. Uh, that, I, I want I want to take a jab at Exorcist Believer just real quick, because um, it's like 
They, they have uh, a scene where Ellen Burstyn's in that fucking movie, and she's just like, I didn't witness my own, uh, my own daughter's exorcism. They wouldn't let me in the room, probably because of the patriarchy or some shit like that. And I'm just like, oh, I'm so fucking sorry, lady. It's almost like they were trying to save your fucking daughter and just needed the fucking time and space to fucking do it. Way to piss on the literal graves of two dead fucking priests that saved your fucking daughter. Jesus fucking Christ. Who wrote this shit? I'm sorry. This isn't like a men in black organization has has women in it thing. Like, she wasn't allowed in there because she didn't know the Roman ritual of doing an exorcism. Like, that. It, like, did you not see? Shit was flying around. It was a dangerous environment. They didn't keep her out because they were sexist. She didn't do the reading. She could have gotten possessed, too. Like, it's for her protection as well. I, I actually cried when I saw the scene of Karis being like, No! And jumping out the window. Mm. For some reason, that emotionally affected me a lot. I well, like that part. Well, that whole movie is like, you get to know who Karis is, and you get to learn like who he is as a person. You like care about him by that point. And that his, whole, his whole arc is he's like... I mean, you probably could call the original Exorcist Believer um, because the whole movie is just about him, like, regaining his faith. And it's yeah. it's it's a very tragic ending for that character. Uh, that shot of his mom on the bed when she suddenly appears in a wide shot during the exorcism scene, that got me. I didn't remember that was in there, and I was like, oh, shit! It was, it was good. It was fucking good. Pazuzu! Pazuzu! Yeah, the, the, this movie makes the very smart decision to not call him Pazuzu throughout the movie. Uh, because, understandably, it's a stupid-sounding name, and this movie's trying to go for something more grounded. Y you don't have your, your fucking demon go by a, a goofy Scooby-Doo monster name throughout a movie that's more grounded. Hey, did you guys ever get really scared of the Captain Howdy face when you were younger? Not really. I don't think I saw it until, like, I actually watched the movie. Same. I saw it in one of those internet screamer videos. Yeah. One of those where it just screams at you out of nowhere, and it was the Captain Howdy face. And so for a long time, every time I'd see the Captain Howdy face, I'd just, like, my stomach would drop and I'd go pale. That face used to scare me more than anything. I never saw a screamer with that one, but I saw a bunch with the Reagan face. And uh, yeah. also the, I think my favorite one of all of them, though, was the Fright Night one. Uh, that face is good. Yeah. Hell yeah. Uh, Here's a fun question for you to keep the discussion going. Do we have a what's the scariest scene in this movie planned out? Do you guys know what, what do you guys have an opinion on that? The dream I... sequence made me shit a couple bricks. Tim, you got it's one? Hard to say, like, one specific scene. I think it's just a general uh, atmosphere building of the movie that uh, makes it scary for me. For personally, I think the whole, like, medical p procedures that she's going through, yeah. that that's, probably, that's probably the scariest stuff to me because that's just more, I feel this, this is more grounded, like... Forget all the supernatural stuff, just the shit that they're having to do to her to make, like, find out what's wrong with her. Yeah, that, 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 that's pretty, 
intense and kind of terrifying to think about and honestly witness. I uh, didn't like that. That was worse than any of, like, the horror elements. Was watching someone have to go through, like, what, an arteriogram? Whatever that's called. It was much it, worse. It, it, if I remember... If I remember correctly, the shot where they're, like, taking blood out of her, where it's, yeah. like, you see the needle go in. Apparently, that's longer from... I haven't seen the version you've never seen before in a hot minute, but I, from what I've heard and vaguely remember, it goes on longer in that. And I'm just like, okay. I mean, that This is why I don't watch this version that often. Yeah, I will say that, like... Uh, I read something recently that was, like, talking about how the actual kid that this was based on was most likely an autistic boy uh so knowing that and watching the medical stuff i think adds a certain layer to it that makes it uh unpleasant yeah that makes it worse <laughs> well thank god you know this took place 30 years after the event with my client uh so they hopefully would have figured out that that boy was autistic if all similar parties were involved with that specific um person mm. <laughs> book um this this has a couple funny things i was talking about like special you know um like for the i think it's the version you've never seen they added a couple of captain howdy faces throughout the movie like mm. they superimposed a couple more they yes. made like some slight changes to the movie and on the commentary you hear bill friedkin say this really interesting thing he says when they were making the dvd you know this is the version people are going to watch in a hundred years. All the film prints are going to turn into dust in a hundred years. They're going to get vinegar syndrome and not be watchable anymore. So the DVD version, he wanted to make different in this case, because this is the one people are going to remember forever. And that's like actually a pretty solid justification. And it also works better for me because I think his alterations were minor. And, um, but I never thought about that. Like when you, when mm -hmm. these, Filmmakers from the 70s would redo their stuff for DVD. It was the first time they were like, whoa, this is the one that's going to last forever. Yeah, it's like a preservation thing, which... Uh, like, we, we talk a lot about uh, how a lot of movies now are just kind of poofing into dust because studios are just uh, yeeting them into oblivion. Uh, so... <laughs> There, there is sort of this emergency of film preservation again, but it, I think it's a little different than like, uh, okay, we are on a, a like finite physical uh, material that is going to degrade over time. Um, like, in most cases, the digital files will exist somewhere with the movies that are coming out and getting like written off today. Uh, not for, I guess, Batgirl. I think that one just got fucking deleted. I, uh, I actually have a copy of the entire first season of Grease, Rise of the Pink Ladies. Because it was one of those early ones that got just, like, just yeah. shot off streaming. And I was like, I want to preserve this one. I tried to preserve as many of them as I can, but they're, they deleted too many of them. Yeah. I do have a 4K copy of Crater, though. I'm the proud <laughs> owner of a 4K copy of Crater. There, there you go. God. Man, man, the film industry is in a very scary time right now. It really is. <laughs> Almost as scary as the movie we're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> Scene 39 right. Hotel, take one. <laughs> All right, we're at an hour and 11 minutes in. Do we have anything else we want to talk about with this beast of a fucking movie? 
think we're ready. All right, let's let's get into our final thoughts then. It's it's about that time. Uh, Austin, what what are your final thoughts on one of the scariest movies ever made, one of the greatest movies ever made, The Exorcist? It's amazing how 5,000 years of recorded history, almost 2,000 years of Christianity, and 197 years of American history converged at this one point in movie theaters in the winter of 1973. These colossal influences left a kernel of unshakable fear deep in the hearts of millions of people. And this was the film that brought all that terror to the surface. I hope I live to see another story that exploits mankind's dread in such an explosive fashion as this. The Exorcist may be the closest the American public has ever come to having a shared, universal nightmare. What a fucking achievement. Rest in peace, Billy Friedkin. Hell yeah, hell yeah. Uh, Tim, what are, you, what are your final thoughts on The Exorcist? This movie is just an immeasurably important masterpiece of horror. Uh, absolutely recommend checking it out if uh, you have any interest in horror. Um, I just watched this with my pagan fiancé the other night who had never seen it before. Uh, we had to have one light on. Uh, that was her rule. Um, but uh, we, we both had a good time with it. Uh, I've, I've seen this uh, a handful of times at this point in my life. It, it still is a great movie. Um, timeless, absolutely uh, one you need to watch if you uh, like demons and spooky things. Back to you, Joe. All right, my final thoughts. Uh, man, oh man, uh, if you guys, it, for whatever reason in the UK, and I guess in the US too, if you guys think you need barf bags for Saw X and Terrifier 2, you probably would not have been able to survive the 70s when this was the movie you needed multiple barf bags for. Uh, it, it's a masterpiece in horror filmmaking. It's a masterpiece in filmmaking. Uh, maybe not so much in the technique. Uh, don't don't do what they did to make this, please, for the love of God. Um, the, the, this this whole the making of this movie is a cautionary tale. But with that said, they gave us maybe one of the greatest movies ever made and one of the greatest horror movies ever made. Uh, the the power of Christ compelled me on this one. Uh, yeah, I'm going there because you know I think it works better in here than it did in Exorcist Believer when I, whenever they said that fucking line, I placed both my fucking hands in my face and screamed, oh my god, because I was the only one in my theater. Uh, yeah, d don't see The Exorcist Believer. See this one instead. Because uh, this is a great film, great time. Uh, but, you know who else is a great time? Who? My cat, but also you! The person watching slash listening to this episode of Bomb Squad Matinee. Thank you oh so very much for watching. Uh, go down to the comments section. Let us know. What did you think of The Exorcist? What's the scariest movie ever made in your opinion? Uh, did, did you think The Exorcist Believer sucked too like I did? Comment below. Let us know. Uh, while you're at it... Uh, Go on, scroll on up, hit that like button so we know how much you like that. Hit that subscribe button 
so we know how much you love us and hit the bell icon to get notified on when we upload new videos. Uh, check out our Twitch. Check out our Patreon. We have some rewards perks uh, that are coming up. Uh, you guys are definitely going to want to check that out. And also, uh, g give me money. Give me. We like money. <laughs> we, 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 like, we like that sweet, sweet dough. Uh, and we would very much appreciate it if you gave us a little dough because we like making cookies. Um, <laughs> Cinematic cookies. <laughs> I mentioned the Twitch. I think that's pretty much everything that we have. Check out our social medias. We post stuff on there, like ads for whenever we upload new videos. Speaking of new videos, tune in next week when we finish off the Evil Dead trilogy by talking about the the finale of the original three Evil Dead films, Army of Darkness. Uh, yeah, we're we're finally completing that one. We're completing a trilogy. It's gonna be fun. You're gonna want to check that one out. We're gonna have a lot of quips for that one. So, thank you, oh so very much for watching this one, and we'll see you next week. What a wonderful day for an Exorcist podcast. <laughs>